Good morning, welcome back from reading week. We tried to have another snow day for you today. We gave it our best shot. Just didn't quite work out. We've gotten good at snow days this semester, uh, but it's good to be back in the game. This semester, on my Monday um, chapel homilies, I'm actually doing a series of sermons on leadership. We began by looking at the leadership of Esther, and then um, Moses and Aaron. We'll spend the rest of the semester looking at the leadership and the anti-leadership of Saul and David. Let us pray. Holy God, we've gathered here at your beckoning. You issued the true call to worship. So be attentive, we pray, to our openness, to our eagerness to hear the word that can come only from you and from this holy text, for we ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. This morning's text comes to us from 1 Samuel 10, beginning at verse 17. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you've said, no, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought up the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the family of the Matrites were taken by Lot. Finally, he brought the family of the Matrites near man by man, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, did the man come here? And the Lord said, see, he's hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and brought him from there. When he took his stand among the people, he was head and shoulders taller than any of them. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king, the word of the Lord. After the Hebrews entered the promised land, they were governed by a succession of 14 judges, as you will recall. These were charismatic women and men who were raised up by the Lord anytime the people were in trouble and they would always deliver the people from their troubles. But the people got tired of being governed by judges. It wasn't all that impressive to have a judge when all the other nations had a king. And so they kept saying to the Lord, we want a king. Now Samuel, last of these judges, thought this was a bad idea. The Lord thought it was a bad idea. Saul, the first king, really thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> but the people persisted in what they wanted, and they, according to the text, they just wore God down. 
I gotta tell you, this scares me, that we have the capacity to wear God down until he gives in to our bad ideas. The God says, fine, you want a king? Have a king. So Samuel tells the people, let's all go to Mitzpah to figure out who the king's gonna be. They all put their bags on carts, and off they go for this big, exciting coronation moment. And they cast lots. The lot falls to Saul. Just as everyone is about to congratulate him on being the new king, they realize he can't be found. The Lord gets fed up with this and breaks into the narrative. It's very unusual for this to happen. And says he's hiding among the baggage. As if that's not a metaphor for us, (laughs) hiding among our baggage. So the people drag him off the cart, pull him out from under the bags, and they say, long live the king. But Saul is wondering, I was just minding my own business. How did this happen to me? This is a very familiar theme in scripture holy, sometimes unholy, reluctance to accept the responsibility of leadership. It comes up over and over again. Like Saul, we choose to hide in our emotional baggage, and we say, who am I? The text tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else, literally. Earlier we're told that he was handsome, that he came from a wealthy family, that uh, the previous chapter says he's already had prophetic frenzies. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds impressive. And So he's religious, he's good-looking, he's wealthy. This is our kind of leader. We say, that's not me. Or you could say, I'm not Esther. I didn't win a beauty pageant to get to be queen for a day. I just thought, no, who am I? I don't have the looks of a leader, I don't have the background of a leader, I don't have the spirituality of a leader. Who who am I? Let Let me hide in all of my collected baggage from over the years. This notion of holy, and again at times unholy reluctance, is not all that bad. After all, none of us deserves to lead the church or the nonprofit organizations that we will try to serve or even a classroom, or even a family for that matter. We don't deserve to lead. And it's not at all a bad idea for us to keep track of our limitations. We were reminded from the daily lectionary last week that God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Consider your call, the apostle says. God chose the foolish to confound the wise. I don't think that verse is ever going to make it into one of our admissions brochures. (laughs) But it's not a bad reminder. Consider your call. And being in a seminary environment gives you plenty of opportunities to bump up against your limitations. There's always somebody who's smarter, somebody who's a little sharper, 
somebody who has a clearer sense of calling than do you. And you will end up saying, who am I? Why am I even here? I remember when I was a student here and I was attending the introduction to pastoral theology class and the professor asked us, why are you at seminary? And a student sitting next to me as we went around the circle said, well, I've come here because so many people keep coming to me for care and I keep being affirmed for my spiritual wisdom. And I was the kind of student who tried to stay out of the way and didn't raise my hand a lot, but I made all of my questions in margin notes, and I still have them. And there's a margin note from that class that says, note that people are not coming to you for your spiritual humility. <laughs> it gets kind of old hearing these stories about people who are just so certain they're called, and everybody's affirmed they're calling, and they have all of these gifts, and lucky God that you said yes. And you start to think, who am I? I don't have this kind of certainty. And so you start to feel like you need to start using the language and you start to feel like you're pretending and you're just kind of looking like maybe someone is called. Maybe something will happen if you look like it. It's like, remember the story of Jacob who wanted the blessing so much from Isaac that he dressed up to look like Esau? He got on Esau's smelly clothes and he made the food of Esau and he put goat hair on his arms and the back of his neck trying to hustle a blessing from God. Can you imagine what this scene looked like from heaven as God's looking down at Jacob who he's already promised to bless. <laughs> he's got goat hair taped on his neck. God is saying, ah, this is my guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Jacob was the one God chose. I think of that story often. Every time I preach and I put on uh, this robe or the vestments, I can still hear my mother telling me when I was 11 years old, Craigie, if you have nothing to say, you should at least look nice. <laughs> my point is, if you feel like you're just dressing up to look like a pastor, you want to get used to that feeling. It's never, ever, ever going to go away. It doesn't matter how many people come to your ordination service. It doesn't matter how many accolades you get. It doesn't matter how many uh, people are brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ through your ministry. You're going to die thinking, am I really good enough to do this job? Just settle into that. Because, frankly, the Lord gets tired of hearing about it. Yes, maybe there is a time for reluctance, but then there's a time to surrender the insatiable search for certainty that you will never have. Because it's not about certainty. It's about faithfulness. Two chapters later, Samuel gets fed up with Saul's reluctance. And he says to Saul, look, you may be little in your own eyes, but the Lord has anointed you, and you have a mission to fulfill. There it is. The Lord has anointed you and given you a mission. And it's not because the Lord was just so impressed with your resume. It's not because the Lord thought that you looked wonderful. It's not because the Lord has needs. What kind of Lord has needs? And you're the one who can fix it. 
It's out of the mystery of God's grace. God has chosen you and has anointed you and given you a mission. You may be little in your own eyes, but the Lord has anointed you and given you a mission. After this little coronation here where everybody says, long live the king, Saul goes back to the farm. He still doesn't want any part of this. He's just walking around behind the oxen at his farm. When word comes to him that the Ammonites have started to invade the tribes of Israel and they're mutilating the people. They're not conquering them. They're gouging out the right eye of all the people. They're mutilating them. And something snaps in Saul and he becomes angry. Then he rallies together his people and they drive the Ammonites back home. There it is. That's all the certainty that we need. There is a mission to fulfill. Some of you will go to churches very soon where there are people whose lives are coming apart at the seams and they just want a pastor to put them back into the hands of God. Do you need more of a sense of certainty than that? There are students who are dying for professors who love God and love God's holy word and have become good scholars of the theological tradition. Do you need more than that? There's a world that's being mutilated and it's hemorrhaging today. Do you want to keep waiting for a, an ecstatic, prophetic frenzy to make, give you a call? Isn't that enough of a call? You've been anointed and given a mission. It's time to surrender all, all desires for certainty and let us just get on with this extraordinary, wonderful way to spend our lives working in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.